Hello, everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Byrne, one of the ministers here. And let me say before we begin, I had a few people ask me about the title, God is a Lumberjack. This shirt is not a flanny. It's just coincidental that I put this one on today. I'm not in character, and you're not going to hear the song, okay, for those who have requested it. <laughs> we'll pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us, and we ask that as we spend time together under your word now, that you will speak into our hearts, Lord, and show us your reality. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by talking about a famous character. Uh, This famous character is someone that I think most people here would know. Uh, Many of the children who come to this church would probably know him or would have read about him. Uh, Many parents or grandparents who are here, you would have, most likely, you would have read this story to your children. You'd at least know of this character. I wonder if we can guess who he is. Okay, I'll give you a few hints. He's the same age as me, he's 25, and he first, he first came on the scene in the early 70s. Okay, still around today. He wears an upside-down yellow bowler hat. Okay, he carries an upside-down cane. Okay, he is sort of orange in color, he's a bit shaped like a bean. Oh, there we go. Okay. His friends are little Miss Contrary, Mr. Muddle, and Mr. Wrong. Anybody? Anyone know who he is? Mr. Topsy Turvy. You're the, you're the first, well, out of all the, the third service here, you're the first group to call it out. Well done. It's Mr. Topsy Turvy from the Mr. Men series. Well, Mr. Topsy Turvy, as I said, he wears some of his clothes upside down. He buys a pair of socks and he wears them on his hands. He says his words in the wrong order, sort of a bit Yoda-like. And so when he's booking a hotel room, he says, afternoon, good, I'd room a-like. You know, everything that he does, it's backwards or it's upside down. Basically, Mr. Topsy Turvey's whole life is the wrong way around. I couldn't imagine living like Mr. Topsy Turvey. But you know, the house of Jacob the original people of God here in Isaiah chapter 2, they actually knew all about being topsy-turvy. The thing is, though, they thought that they were okay and they had no idea that they had life the wrong way around. But instead of that being a funny children's book, this was very serious because mainly they were topsy-turvy when it came to God. Instead of God being at the top and then his people living for him, they had minimalized God and other things were way more important. Spiritually, these guys had things the wrong way around. So here in chapter 2, the promise is that God is going to do something about this. See, we began the book of Isaiah by looking at how the people of God had turned away from him. They were corrupt, They were unjust and evil. They had a lot of religion, but it was all empty religion. And so God was disgusted with them. But still, Isaiah promised that even despite this rebellion, God had plans to save and forgive and restore. 
And then last week, Derek shared with us the grand vision of one day God being lifted up to the highest place with all the nations streaming to him to learn from him and to live for him and to live in his light. And so, if the people are in a mess and God has this wonderful vision for the future, today's passage tells us how God is going to make that happen. He's going to put things the right way around And he's going to do that by bringing a great reversal. Let me first see this reversal in how mankind will be put in his proper place. See, pride will be punished. Pride will be punished. Let's take a closer look at the situation. If you're looking along in your Bible, turn to verse 6, please. It says, you have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and clasp hands with pagans. God has abandoned his people because they have already turned away from him. Instead of listening to the one true God... Instead, they're influenced by the nations around them. They've got the beliefs of the East and they've got the Philistines to the West. Instead of worshipping the one true God, uh, they're trying to tap into Him. They're trying to tap into His power. They're trying to use Him for their own purposes. That's what happens with with divination. We're, We're seeing here a spiritual abuse of God. See, these people are so far from the wonderful future that God has in store. So to really understand their situation, let's hold the the future vision that we saw last week. So we're thinking back just for a moment to verses 1 to 5. We're going to hold that next to the picture that we see in today's passage. Verse 7 here tells us that the people are rich and prosperous, that the land is full of silver and gold. But as we think back to last week, the vision of things to come shows people filled with the, the, the truth and the light of God. We also see in verse 7 that the land is full of horses and chariots. In today's world, or today's words I should say, uh, we'd say that they have a large army, they've got the latest weapons. But depending on their military might instead of God. But remember the vision It says that God plans to bring deep peace. And verse 4 is a picture of people beating their swords into farming tools. And verse 8 tells us something else they're full of. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands to what their fingers have made. They're worshipping man-made idols, their own creation. But the vision is of the Lord's temple raised higher than any other God, as we saw back in verse 2. See, God's people have made him nothing. And instead, their self-serving religion, their spirituality, their wealth, their military might, and relationships with other nations, and their idols, these things are everything. It's all upside down, isn't it? It's the wrong way around. And even worse, God's people had been specifically warned earlier in the Bible that their king should not just build up riches and a large army because those things will take the place of God. These people haven't just stumbled onto some bad habits. This is also disobedience. 
And so verse 11 names this for what it is and tells us what God will do. Look there with me, please. The eyes of the arrogant man will be humbled and the pride of men brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Living like this with God minimized and everything else exalted, it's nothing but arrogance and pride. Their religious festivals and their sacrifices were just a band-aid over a body that's rotting from the inside out. And so Isaiah writes in verse 9 that things will be put in the right place. He says, so man will be brought low and mankind humbled. Do not forgive them. Now Isaiah here, as he says that, he's not saying asking God, I should say, to never forgive them. The wording means more like, God, you know, this sort of behavior, it just can't go unpunished. Sin like this, it has to be dealt with. And it will be. Let's think about what God will do. Have a look at verse 12 with me, please. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. See, during Old Testament times, the people believed that there was something big coming in the future, uh, which we, we refer to as the day of the Lord. Uh, they looked forward to a time when God would come in power and in glory and he would restore them to glory as a nation as well. But Isaiah's promise here, it's a big wake-up call. Yes, that day is coming, he's saying, but why do you think God will be bringing blessing and reward? You've rejected him. That day is going to be darkness and terror for you, not light. Verses 19 and 20 paint a pretty scary picture. Men will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from dread of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. In that day, men will throw away to the rodents and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold, which they made to worship. Back when I was at Bible College, uh, for most of the year I lived on the campus. Uh, but each year during the summer holidays, I had to find somewhere else to stay because they would close the college down. And uh, that was okay because I generally, I was able to stay with some friends and it was a nice change from the usual routine. Well, during one of those breaks, I was invited to stay with a friend who had a spare bedroom in his unit. Now, he did everything he could to make it comfortable for me. Uh, we got along really well. It was a nice place. But there was one thing. Even though he kept his unit clean, the whole building itself had a big problem with cockroaches. And after struggling with them for a while, finally I had enough. I was going to get rid of the roaches in his unit once and for all. So what did I do? Well, I knew where to find them. We all know, don't we, that as soon as the lights go out, roaches explore the kitchen for food. And so I would stand in the doorway with one hand on the trigger of a can of roach spray, the other on a light switch, and as soon as I flicked it on, I would let them have it. Okay? And there'd be roaches scurrying everywhere, just trying to get into their deep, dark, hottie holes before they get hit with a blast of spray. 
You know, sadly, Isaiah describes the people of God here almost as if they are scattering roaches. When they come face to face with God and his glorious majesty, uh, when the light comes on, in a sense, they, they run for cover. They hide in caves and holes in the ground, it says. See, on the day of the Lord, they'll know that they had been living a lie. We have God here bringing dread or terror, not joy. He's shaking the earth. This is divine judgment. And they'll have a dose of reality when they look at all the idols of this life and all the riches and luxuries that they had been living for and they'll see and they will know that none of these things can save them. Isaiah writes that they'll throw their idols away uh, to detestable creatures, to the places where they actually belong. And verse 18 makes it very clear, all of the idols will totally disappear. See, God is going to put mankind in his place. Pride will be punished. Rejection of God, downplaying him, taking him for granted, living for the good things that he gives us instead of for him, he will deal with this. In a way, uh, we could say that God is like a lumberjack. Those tall trees, those lofty and mighty trees, they will be cut down to just stumps. That's one part of the great reversal. Man, or proud man, I should say, will be brought down. But God is also more than a lumberjack as well. Because along with a taking down, there will be a lifting up. God himself will be put into his proper place. He will be lifted up. If we look at verse 11 again, just at the last line, it says it there so clearly, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. God will be seen as unique and glorious. In verse 12, we see that he is the Lord Almighty. He's the one with absolute power. We've read that the people will be afraid of the splendor of his majesty. Friends, what's happening here is that the lies of this world will be stripped away and God will be seen for who he is. Powerful and majestic and glorious and awesome and above all. These people who have reduced God down to their size will see him for who he is. And so we also must ask who we think God actually is. And to be even more specific, on this side of the cross, what do we actually do with the person of Jesus, the Son of God? Philippians chapter 2 gives us a true picture of him as not only risen from the grave, but risen and exalted above all. Listen as I read that for us. Verses 9 to 11 from Philippians 2. And we heard this in our song earlier as well. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the gospel of Jesus is itself about a great reversal. Without Christ... Our default position is rebellion against God. And if that's our relationship with him, if we ignore or disobey or couldn't care less about him, another way of looking at that is to say that we have elevated ourselves, isn't it? 
we then are at the center of our self-made universe with us at the top and not God. But when He, by His grace, reaches into our lives with forgiveness and makes us new, that's putting things back into the right order. Through new life in Jesus, we're given the ability to rejoice in God as God and us as His people. And we can joyfully serve and worship Him. So friends, here in Isaiah 2, God promises that He's going to bring a great reversal to a topsy-turvy people. The proud will be humbled and God Himself will be lifted up. And as people here today who have tasted that in Jesus, let's be sure that we don't have things upside down. Look with me please at verse 22. Stop trusting in man who has but a breath in his nostrils of what account is he. This verse brings us back to the beginning of the Bible, back to Genesis when God created humankind, when he breathed life into us. Here Isaiah is really saying, get it right. Stop trusting in man and in your own efforts and in the things created by the hands of man because we are just creatures. Instead, trust in the Creator. And you know, I believe each one of us needs to be reminded of this from time to time. And even as people who trust in Jesus, we can get into the habit of of saying with our lips that we rely on God, and yes, that might be very true for us. You know, if we look closely and carefully, sometimes we find in practice things to be a little bit different. We might find that we're really only running to Him when we're in a crisis, for example. But in the day-to-day, we're really relying on our own strength. Though, yes, we do believe in the Gospel. Or this can happen on a church-wide level, too. When a church has a rich history of much good, active ministry, sometimes those ministries can become routine or even tradition. And over time, we begin to take certain ministries for granted, assuming that they're just the works of our own hands, because why? Well, they're things we've always been able to accomplish. I even get that wrong as a minister at times. You know, when in, the mid- in the middle of an extra busy week, I find, well, I haven't spent as much time in prayer as I should, but relying a bit too much on my own efforts to get the sermon out for Sunday or something like that. It happens. And we see this on a global level as well. You know, there's, a, there's an assumption out there, if we listen carefully. It, there's a thinking that, you know, we're going to make this world perfect one day as we keep advancing in our science and in our technology and in our understanding of health and our bodies, you know, in, uh, in peace treaties and all these different things, the way people are advancing, but all of these without God in the picture. One of the best answers I find to these things is to make sure we keep reminding ourselves and reminding each other of the proper big picture. And so we need to make sure that we are encountering God's truth and we keep coming up against His perspective on things. By making church a priority, by being here to hear that truth, by spending time with Him in our week, connecting with other believers, encouraging each other in this as we do in our growth groups, for example. And as well, let me encourage us all to to make time to reflect on and to pray through passages that remind us very clearly that God is God and that we are not. 
Now, of course, that's all over the Bible, but some passages just do that in such a wonderful way. And one that I really like that does this is 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Listen as I read that for us. But notice how it's the work of the Creator who shows us at the level of our hearts how glorious Jesus is. And notice the language of light that gets repeated over and over, and it just fits in with this section of Isaiah. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That is a far cry from scurrying like roaches into dark holes in the ground, isn't it? It's a verse that has us and has God in the right place. And verses like this are great food for our soul. Another thing that I like about God's picture of a great reversal seen here in Isaiah 2 is that it also answers one of the common problems that people sometimes have with our faith. Maybe some of us sitting here, we struggle with this very thing. We, We may have had conversations with people about this. And it's when people say things like this. I just can't believe or I refuse to believe in a God who lets bad things happen. In a world where evil people just get away with the things that they do. I bet every one of us have encountered that argument in one form or another. Now there are a number of ways we could answer that and and different things that we could say. But yes, we do live in a world where many people seem to be untouchable. You know, what about when people who commit violent crimes just go free? Or when a dictator or a group terrorizes a country and, and children and innocent people are killed or displaced or lose their homes or lose everything? Or when CEOs take multi-million dollar bonuses and payouts while people in the same company are losing their jobs. When vulnerable people, and people who can't defend themselves, are abused in many different ways. Today's passage is part of the answer to that. Because we see that God is just. And God isn't turning a blind eye. The people of Isaiah's time, see, they weren't actually much different from us. They were living the good life. If you scan over the first chapters of Isaiah, you see that they had it all, given the context of their time. While at the same time, they were walking over the weak and being corrupt and evil. And it looked to the everyday person like those at the top were untouchable. And so people back then would have had the same questions about their world that we have right now. But Isaiah is saying there will be a great reversal. A time is coming when the proud will be brought down as God is lifted up. And if we don't see that happen in this life, on the last day all will be revealed. The guilty will be punished. Those in Christ will be rewarded and God will be glorified. Things will be in the right place ultimately. Well, finally, in our last minute, let me briefly share one last thing that's good for us to remember as we think about a passage like this. God, in his great love for us, he hasn't only put Jesus at the top as king over all, but he has also raised us up 
us who are his followers, we have been raised up as well. Ephesians 2.6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are so much in him that in a sense we are already seated with him in glory and sharing in his rule. Yes, we live in a broken world where it really does seem that the evil rise to the top and get away with the things that they do. But when we tear back the veil and we look at reality as God shows us, we see that we're not below them. And when all is finally revealed, we will be seen to be on the winning side. We will be safe with Christ and sharing in our inheritance in his kingdom. Praise God for rescuing us from being topsy-turvy and for blessing us through his great reversal. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for this passage from Isaiah. Thank you for a dose of reality when these things can be overshadowed by what we see in our lives and in our world. Lord, we are sorry for when we have had things reversed and where you are marginalized or pushed aside a bit and other things are way more important. Father, in the strength of Jesus and in the new life that he gives us, we ask that you will help us to get that right and that you will give us a grand vision of you as the most glorious and give us, please, a deep joy in being your people with you as God and us not as God and help us to delight in that, knowing that you are a heavenly Father. Lord, please uh, be with us throughout this week and be with us as we continue working through Isaiah and as we keep facing your truth, Lord. We ask that you will etch it deep into our hearts. We thank you for this passage and thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.